coming straight from the cockpit. It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right, the fucking pilot back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. And we are going way back in the time machine on this one. Holy shit, I haven't talked to you in fuck. It's, I, I can't even remember the last time we actually spoke face to face. But who the fuck are you and what do you do? Okay, so um, I guess uh, most people would know me as Will Lajeunesse. Um What do I do now is a different question than what did I do when we knew each other. Sure. Um, I guess I'll take a whack at both. I yeah. guess when we met, I was professional skydiver, uh, doing AFF, free flying, um, canopy coaching, all that stuff. And uh, what do I do now is uh, I'm a yoga teacher in France. So big, big change in my my world since we've since we've known each other. I don't know, no like you said, I don't know when the last time was that we talked. You know, but you know, it's you know, it's kind of funny. If, uh, if if you had asked me 10 years ago, um, if the first thing you told me now you were a yoga teacher, my instant reaction would be to give you never-ending amounts of shit for it. And now, <laughs> now my reaction is, fuck, I should have started yoga way back in because everything hurts. <laughs> exactly. I mean, so, like, yeah, it's like, it's just, yeah, it's so different, especially like from how people knew me back then and from the person that I was back then. Like, you know, it's been shit 12 years i don't know 15 years oh, yeah. and uh obviously as everyone changes a lot i have, i certainly have so anybody who knew me back for example at cross keys or sebastian um hearing that like i'm a yoga instructor and like i don't drink and stuff like that they're probably like that's a different person right <laughs> that's oh, not yeah. real <laughs> oh yeah, yeah no well it's kind of funny because obviously we've we've stayed connected over the years on on facebook to some degree and and i'll see the the uh, yoga pictures and the inspirational posts and all this stuff and i'm like that's not yeah. the fucking guy that i exactly. used to party with in cross keys. no exactly exactly and i, I like I, I love that that's perfect that's- oh yeah no, you know, well, yeah, I think we've I all we've all got like eighteen different versions of ourselves between then and now. So, and it's exactly. fun to see how they all just kind of evolve a little bit. But here, let's jump all the way yep. back to the beginning. So, uh, I used the the term extreme sports before we started recording. Uh, how did was Scott having your first ex- extreme sport, or you know, did you venture into that via something else? Um. Yes, skydiving was my first quote-unquote extreme sport. It's funny. I, I really wouldn't even use that word to describe mm-hmm. it. I realize that that's a, a word that like people use. Sure. But um, uh, I, I knew you would ask this, and I thought about it, actually. I remember when I was 18 driving in a car out to skydive cross keys with my friends who all were just turning 18 just to do our first jump, um, and all my friends were going to college. And I wasn't, and um, they were all talking about what schools they were going to go to. And somebody was like, well, what are you going to do, Will? And uh, I I looked at him, and I was like, well, maybe I'll be a skydiving instructor. And everybody (laughs) just laughed, you know. I hadn't even done my first jump yet. And and, uh, they were like, "Uh, what do you you think you should try it yet or what at first or whatever? And I I was like, I'm pretty sure I'll like it. And that was it, man. I did one jump. I immediately talked to John Eddowes, who owned Cross Keys at the time. And uh, I don't know if I can, yeah, I can say my, his name, whatever. Anyway, sure. um, and, uh, I immediately, yeah, I started working there and started jumping right away and that was it. Like I did not, I did not take a breath outside of skydiving for six years, seven years. Now, what yeah. year was this? Um, whew, man, was that 2002? 
That's what I would have guessed. 2001, 2002? Because yeah, you and I yeah. met in 2000, exactly. beginning of 2004. Right, exactly. Is so right. I had already been going for a couple of years. I was probably doing AFF or soon to be doing AFF when we met. Well, when we um, first met, uh, yeah, you were doing a lot of free yeah. play. It was it was you and Selwyn Facey were were uh, um, you know just locked God, hip you, to hip. You were there for me and Selwyn. Oh my God, dude! My first yeah, time was... ever meeting you, I had literally <laughs> I showed up at Cross Keys. I had never met you or anybody there, and I was walking out to look at the landing area. You and Selwyn were sprinting, having just landed, running back yeah. to the hangar, and both of you stopped just long enough to me to go, dude. Do you have a rig we can borrow? And my answer was, <laughs> there's a green javelin and a black vector hanging side by side on the rack. And you went, thanks. And both of you guys took off. You didn't ask what fucking parachutes. <laughs> you, you didn't ask if there were cypresses, nothing. So I didn't even get introduced oh to you God. before you guys had already jumped my rigs. <laughs> both of them. <laughs> that is outstanding. Yeah. That is just fucking great, man. It's like, I love it. Like when I see people I haven't seen in the sport for years, Everybody has some kind of weird ass story like that about me, and I love them all. It's great. It was oh, yeah. such a good time in my life. Oh, and yeah, that was my approach to skydiving. Was you know I, I was felt like I was good at it, and I was confident, and I loved it, and I loved flying different wings. And so it, I, now that you tell me that's where I do remember it. Sure. Oh, it's so, fucking yeah. hilarious. That's how I met you. Is <laughs> is you running past me, going, "Dude, if you had a rig, we can borrow." And I'm like, "Well, fuck yeah, go ahead, man." <laughs> What? Awesome. Bro. Well, and then my my Such a good story. my opinion of you was because you busted your ass doing all the odd jobs around the drop zone. Um, basically, yeah. I guess just to to keep working there and, and to be able to keep jumping. Were you getting free jumps for all the work you did? Okay, so I was just telling somebody about this uh, the other day. We had such a fucking sweet deal. You know, John Eddowes basically said, "You do whatever I say, basically whenever I say." And, um, I will pay you. We had the choice. Like we could invoice them how we wanted. It was either 10 bucks an hour or one jump an hour, you know? And so it had incentive for him. It had incentive for us because he obviously didn't want us to pay us the money. Sure. He would rather give us the jumps, which don't really cost anything. One fun jumper slot on an otter doesn't make any difference when he's sending up six tandems, you know? Right. So for him, he was happy to give us the one jump an hour, even though it had a value of much more than 10 bucks. And, um, and we didn't, you know, we didn't really want the money either. As long as we could eat, we, we just wanted to be. I would periodically go to Manifest, call John, send an invoice, and they would print out like 40 tickets for me. And, I, and like, I don't know if you remember at Cross Keys at the time, the tickets didn't really cut between them. Right. So they would come out like in a big string. And I would take them and like do a dance, like a ballerina, like through the, the hangar with like a string of 40 tickets, you know. And I would tear through those in, in a couple days, you know, three, four days days oh yeah um no problem well you yeah. guys were fucking yeah. maniacs i mean you were going balls out all the time yeah yeah we i mean i did a thousand jumps a year you know several several years in a row you know um well now I, I did i did like i did 18 i did hold on a second i think the most i ever did with packing for myself i did one time 23 jumps in one day always packing for myself wow that's a um, fuck. Well, that was back. Yeah, this is back when Cross Keys was, <laughs> was the busiest goddamn was drop zone on the planet, man. Right. It, yeah, there it was, was there was there, there was literally no time a turbine engine wasn't spinning on that drop zone. It was just nope. insane. Yep. So yeah. so for it those that insane. weren't there back then, paint the picture of Cross Keys circa you know two thousand three <laughs> two thousand four. What was that place like? Oh my goodness! It's right? so hard to describe. Right? It was like it was an outstanding 
mishmash of people from all different ages, all different walks of life, everybody that really was looking to step outside of normal and have, I would say, genuine experiences like with other people and, uh, and every facet of skydiving as well. You had crew dogs there, wingsuits were starting, you had free flyers, a really good free fly scene was building. You also had like, you know, retirees who would come out and, and do like, flat jumps and um tandems were going but the tandem vibe was good the instructors were positive the students would hang out after and drink i mean <laughs> it seemed like there was a party almost every night pretty much and um yeah for sure and uh we had we definitely partied hard too i certainly did not everybody did but i certainly did and and uh it was it was outstandingly positive vibe but uh, you know among the staff and also this feeling of like really communal living because we were all living on trailers in the woods back there oh, yeah. it was such a special time and place in my life and i feel like in, in the, the history of cross keys and loads of people uh, i think uh, felt the same way oh yeah. so it was really cool I remember uh, um, one particular bash we had, uh, and there were a number of them back around the the maxi pad, the woods across the parking lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, and all of us, I mean, we all partied back then with uh, a wide variety of chemical entertainment. Uh, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. holy shit! And I remember one particular time we were all sitting around on one of the decks that someone had built around one of the trailers, just shooting the shit for hours, talking about nothing. Mm. Just, yeah. you know, circular conversations that just kept going and going and going. And then uh, mm-hmm. we had that one night that I'm sure you'll remember because I'm pretty sure you were there. It was the night of Sarge and the drinking yeah, oh, contest <laughs> when he fell off the fence. Oh, <laughs> fuck. Oh, my God. Right? And, like, yeah, yeah. And there were so many, like, priceless gems of people like Sarge that showed up and would and would be a huge personality and, and would show up. and like Or, like, me and Selwyn or, or nights like that where you had, like, so many – I mean, I don't know how much time you spent in the top house at the end of the, at the end of the street, but like, that was another, (laughs) yeah, right. Exactly. Enough. Yeah. I mean, that was another haven of debauchery and, and party, you know, but it was cool because like everything was super communal from, from, you know, chemical entertainment to, you know, relationships, uh, physical or otherwise with different people. There was this, yeah. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like. I don't think it was like weird or dodgy. It was like everybody just kind of shared time and space and, and it, energy, and and it was awesome. I jokingly call it the most incestuous drop zone that I've ever been at <laughs> because for everybody. Sure, it was one sure. degree of separation. I mean, everybody slept with everybody. <laughs> everybody, um, yeah. And it was so much fun. I mean, uh, um, it was and, fun, man. And why not? Everybody kind of got to know everybody else's secrets. You know, there was there was yeah. no hiding anything from anybody else because nope. either either you'd slept with this person or the person next to him had slept with this. Per- it was it was exactly. And yeah. it was absolute utter insanity. I remember, um, and I can't remember her name, which is kind of horrible. But uh, um, Sim Simeon had been dating this particular girl that I yeah. had a crush on, and okay. she started flirting with me, the one that had her belly button pierced four times. Allison, Shit. 
Allison. Allison, yes. Oh, just, my goodness. I often think of her. <laughs> oh, fucking hot as hell. And just in... Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> yeah. So... She, she was trouble. <laughs> yeah. You know, and they had been dating, and then they stopped dating, and she was kind of flirting with me, but Sim and I were good friends, and so I, like, went uh-huh. to Sim, and I'm like, dude, is it... Do you mind if I, like, uh, you know, kind of go mm-hmm. out? And I'm like, can I bang her, please? Is it cool with you? And he's like... <laughs> Thanks for asking, man. I really appreciate that. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny, man. That is so funny. Yeah. Oh, the the yeah. parties just got so – they got out of hand, but they didn't get out of hand in a scary way. They just – they got out of hand, and you always knew everybody was going to sort themselves out. Yeah. Like everything time, was going to be okay. Sure. Like when we found Simeon wrapped around the telephone pole in his underwear. <laughs> We we knew he'd be exactly. okay the next day. You know, he was going to be sorted. Yeah, it was yeah. fine. Um, and so uh, many of those too. Yeah, right. When Lauren Dem walked herself to the hospital that time, you remember that? Uh, yeah, I do. I do. Well, that was she was that was right in the middle of a tough moment for her. Yeah, you know? yeah. Right after her mom, for know? sure. Oh yeah, so, no, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and uh, that that brings up a good point. There were a lot of uh, insanely wonderful moments at Cross Keys, but there were a lot of really tough times too. Yeah. Man, yeah, oh man, yeah, yeah. we saw some fucking tragedy in that place. I know, man. That 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 was, you know, those years were so formative for me in so many ways. You know, everything from the, the what we already talked about, the sexuality, the, the chemicals, and then, yeah, like you said, the tragedy. I mean, that shit, even today, like when I have friends who are close to me who who have people who die, I always kind of like sit down next to them and I'm like, hey, look, like this is something that I have experienced a lot and, uh, I'm pretty familiar with how it works and like we should talk and these are my experiences and mm. this is what I've learned from them. And and it's, it, it, and I'm happy with that. Like it's, I've taken all that stuff and, and then it's become a tool for me that, that is applicable in my life to help other people. Sure. And so that's super cool. Well, know? and being able yeah. to, to, um, deal with, um, raw grief like that. Um, and, yeah. and to be, so so up close and personal because most people will at some point in their lives lose people obviously but it's never um never quite as in your face as it seemed to be back then and it hasn't been for me since then you know i mean i've i've lost uh i've lost lots of friends in fact you and i were just speaking before we started uh, about rob stanley um yeah a, a fucking great friend a wonderful guy as unique as they possibly come batshit crazy um, yeah. and, and he should have never died. The guy was, you know, going to live mm. to be 180. Um, and, mm. uh, that's how most people lose people. They get the telephone call, they get the message. So-and-so passed. Yeah. Um, but cross yeah. keys back then for us was, uh, we watched it. It was God, very- so many too. Right. There were so many. Uh-huh. And, well, like, and such wonderful they came people. fast and hard. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And people that you knew that we were, cause it's like, we were, I don't know. Yeah, we're talking about the communal living. Like everybody was sharing so much space there, so that even when it was somebody who didn't really like that much, you know, (laughs) you know, it still was like losing a brother. Sure. And we and it was seemed like they all came hard and fast. And then, you know, when Sarah went in, like that, that one just really there was a wave of like grief um, that went through the community when Sarah went in that I've never, I've never experienced like that. That was like everybody simultaneously lost 
their daughter and their sister and their girlfriend, you know, all yeah. in one person. Yeah. Because uh, that's kind of what she was to all of us. You of, know course, I mean? like, of course. Yeah. Well, I've often uh, um, told the story um, when she was getting ready to do tandem, she came to me and was going with Jackson and I and, and Kim Worthington to go to the gym and train yeah. to get stronger, um, to be able yeah. to handle the flair for doing the tandems and stuff. And so we became pretty close when all that was going on. And that was when she would walk up and she'd give you the most amazing fucking hug. Uh, just these long, almost more than lingering hug and tell you sincerely, Oh, I love you. And you knew it was real. Yeah. And it was a a very, um, unique experience to, you know, to somebody, everybody gives the little hug, love you, bro. But she would like hold on to it and make sure you knew. Oh yeah. You know, she always had time like that to give to somebody and never a negative thing to say about anybody. So Yeah. yeah, that was a big hit. That one, like, and there were people who, I don't don't know if you remember, but Norman, Norman almost altogether stopped jumping for years after that. And he's, I know he's going again, but he wasn't for years. And he, he never said to me, and I never heard him say or anybody, but for me, it was like, he was, he was gone after that, you know? And uh, I think it just took that long. And I'm still not right about that one. You know, that's, uh, it's right up there with Stan, Stanley. It's probably more and more important with Stanley, you know, her and I had had, had been together, you know, romantically that, sure. that year. And, uh, I mean, she just had a way of drawing you in and it still just feels like an unfinished story, you know, of course, but, um, yeah, right. That's, uh, and I, I mean, I remember, I think that's the only time I've ever just full on cried on jump run was on her, uh, her ash jump. Oh. I remember just like, I don't know who was flying. If it was, must've been Edo's, you know, and, uh, Somebody just saying door and like I remember just lifting up my goggles and just wiping the tears off my face. And, oh uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, I was down so. in uh, I was down in Wildwood when it happened, and, uh, and yeah. my first reaction was, "All right, I'm done." You know, I, there's no way. Yeah. You know, and I'm I'm on the beach in the fetal position, just trying to hang on. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Um, they're like, "Dude, we we gotta finish this day. Please, please, please help us Jesus. out." And so I got yeah. back on that fucking Alouette helicopter to go do mm. a jump. And I remember yeah. rolling off the fucking off the strut of the Alouette, literally crying so hard as yeah. I'm doing a tandem yeah. that I couldn't even focus on the ground. Yeah, yeah. that was something else. Yeah, man. that was something else. Yeah, it's uh, uh yeah. yeah I but, just got. I mean, I just got goosebumps just thinking about it. You know yeah, you know they all hit. They all hit mm. pretty hard too. I mean, I know you were there. Um, just before I got there was uh, Paul Rafferty. Got, granted, that was not a skydiving incident, but it was definitely a cross keys incident. Um, and uh, <laughs> definitely, exactly, definitely exactly. cross keys. And uh, he yeah, was the guy that yeah. hired me, so I showed up to cross keys, going, "Hey, Jesus. so where's Paul?" And everybody's like, "Oh yeah, he's dead." What? Oh, man. He's, he's yeah, dead? Yeah. And then the next one yeah. was Kuski. And the funny thing about uh, Kuski was I'd only been at the drop zone for about two months, um, maybe two and a half months. But it goes back to the communal living that you've mentioned. We became so mm. close, so fucking fast yeah. that it was, yeah. you know, just a normally, oh, yeah, it's a guy I met a couple of months ago. No, this was him, you yep. know, and, and then Sarah yep. and Ron and then PJ and all these fucking people. Jesus Christ. PJ too, man. That was a tandem. That's so bad. Man. Right. That's a really, really bad one. It was yeah. kind of the cross yeah. keys curse, man. I, 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 it almost, I almost look back at those and and think that if we, with the highs that we had at that period of time, there were bound mm. to be some crazy fucking lows, and there were exactly. There really yeah, were for sure. 
Um, for sure. Now for you sure. you actually um, made yourself kind of infamous um, at Cross Keys for one particular oh, job. Yes, <laughs> yeah, and you'll 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 recognize this story right when I start it. So I had the opportunity to uh, sit down and interview Mr. Bill Booth. Um, and oh man, awesome! So I brought awesome. I brought up the same story to Bill, and this was the skyhook cutaway. Yeah. What so did the, he say about it? Uh, well, I told him, I'm like, so look, Bill, the story that I've been told is that uh, publicly you'll say it's the worst thing you've ever seen and privately you're like, fuck yeah. And his response was, <laughs> absolutely fuck yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's it. That's all I need then. If I've got Bill Bruce, Bill Bruce boots approval, I'm good. Yeah, he, he confirmed <laughs> that he, he still thinks it was the stupidest thing he's ever seen, but it was badass. <laughs> But yeah, I want cool. to know the story cool, behind cool, this cool. because I've heard a couple of different versions, but I know it was you and Selwyn who were famous at Cross Keys for just being the guys that are most likely to just do whatever it is. So yeah. how did this happen? Yeah. All right. I think I have to like set the scene a little bit too. Please, like, please, please. First of all, like this is at a time when like I was gaining rigging experience. I was gaining base jumping experience. I was gaining, you know, I was packing reserves, like even working on building harnesses. So I was really getting familiar and comfortable with rigging and packing. And as I say, I'm base jumping a lot too. So I'm pretty comfortable being low and, right. and, and doing what seemed like really high risk situation if you're skydiving. And I was like, what, 19 or 20 and probably right. thought I was invincible. Right. So, um, so, you know, it sets the stage. And then at not that long before this, I'll tell you the whole story, the real truth. And, you know, let fucking everybody else be the judge of yeah. well, how stupid it was. So not long before that, I think Selwyn and I had like, cause we were base jumping a lot. You know, we were just doing like, sure. I mean, we would wake up at four in the clock at four o'clock in the morning every morning and go jump off an antenna or a building or something, right. you know, even Jay Maletsky at the time was like, holy shit, like the base scene in New Jersey is off the hook, you know, <laughs> and he would plan, he would plan his, Jay Maletsky would, who was traveling professional, professionally for the PD team would plan his travel to come through New Jersey to, to jump with me and Selwyn awesome. because we were scouting and jumping so much. And he probably actually sidebar, he probably actually really saved our lives in, 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 sort of second he wouldn't admit to this but sort of secondhandly mentoring us and encouraging us probably to slow down and maybe wait for him to come back before we did a bunch more buildings and then right. do the buildings with him you know right and then everybody won you know right anyway so i was you know in this feeling increased knowledge and capability and comfort level and uh not long before that me and selwyn had done a low pull competition in which i absolutely eviscerated him you know like totally crushed him <laughs> And made, you know, I don't think either of us were wearing altimeters, I think was the, the point of it, too, was like, let's just look at the ground and see who can go oh, lower. Jesus Which, Christ. I know. <laughs> I know. And neither of us had cypresses. Like, I mean, I, this is not a good idea, kids. I don't recommend this, but I told you I'd be honest and tell the whole story. Right. So, <laughs> Selwyn had some, like, had some, like, you know, he's like, oh, I'm fucking, I lost that one. So, like, I need to you know, win the next one or whatever. And then we started some, you know, Skyhook came out and we're, you know, playing around with it and Cruzy was excited about it. We were all excited about it. And damn, I don't remember whose idea it was to, to pack one slider down or I don't, damn it. I don't even, can you see the picture? I don't even remember. I don't even know if it was slider down. It might've actually been slider up. I'm um, not sure. I, think I was, it was. I've heard stories both ways. I've heard slider up and slider down. All I know is that I watched it live, and it was the most ridiculously yeah. amazing thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> I I feel fairly confident that it was slider up. Actually, 
um, I don't think I don't think Cruzy would have done that, and I don't think. I, I don't remember the slider being down like on the risers, you know, when I packed reserve. And I don't think, I know we didn't take it off. Pretty sure the, the toggles were going through the guide rings. I have to look at the picture. If I look at the picture in my head, I can almost see the slider up. Sure. But I could be misrecalling it. Anyway, so we did a couple chops and we were like getting more comfortable with it. And, and like John Eddowes is like, let's do one super low at like 500 feet or whatever. And I'm going to be up there with the helicopter filming you guys. And like you turn on the final and just one chops and then the other chops. And so Selwyn's like, all right, well, secretly between us, let's see who will go lower. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like he was hoping for round two of the low pole competition. Right. And he he was flying a big canopy, like a 210 or something. So he was like cruising around in full flight, like no hands on the toggles, just hands on the, the cutaway handle, whatever, looking at his altimeter. And I was on something sl- like bigger. So I had to fly in like full brakes to hang with him and couldn't really see my altimeter. So I was just looking at the ground and kind of waiting for him. And he like took it down. Eventually he was like, fuck it. I think he was like, fuck it at around like, let's call it politely 250 feet, you know? <laughs> and I, I saw him chop. I had to let go of the brakes, go to full flight. I also wanted to turn around. I think I did like a, a toggle, you know, a flat toggle turn of right. about 180 degrees after that. And I was pretty low, man. I don't know how, <laughs> how low I was. I know I was well lower than, than 200 feet, you know, right. well lower than that. I bet I was around like 180 when I hacked it. And um, I felt confident that it was going to be okay. I was o- also kind of over the corner of the pond. And if you recall correctly, I <laughs> I barely had time. I did flare a little bit, you know. But, like, the canopy wasn't completely pressurized, I don't think. So the flare didn't really do a ton. And so I kind of – I do remember limping a little bit out of the landing area, my ankle being sore. And I did kind of, like, you know, almost stood up, like, right next to the corner of the pond. And, um, uh, and yeah, so when you, you, most people have seen – there's still that picture in circulation of me, um, I mean, super low, the canopy yeah. – yeah, exactly. The canopy just pressurizing, and yeah. Uh, so yeah, Skyhook saved saved a life there for sure. I mean, admittedly, the operator of the uh, of the system put himself deliberately <laughs> in danger. You know what I mean? And again, not the way like I live now. And at the time, you know, I was in that young and arrogant. I probably had two thousand jumps. Thought I knew everything phase, and that would have been pre Sarah, and that would have been pre Ron, that would have yep. been pre PJ, and that would have been pre. You know, it's at that really dangerous time for a skydiver when you have enough experience to be good, and not enough experience to know how truly fucking dangerous it is, and how quick, and how sorrowful it is when you oh, meet these yeah. people. And uh, well, you, you know, know so I. Um, I I watched that jump happen um, from the ground. It was funny because we had finished the day of jumping and then everybody told, you know, we were told what was going on because it was <laughs> Egon was out from Relative Workshop. He's who brought the rig out for yeah. us to demo. And then uh, Cola was out from PD. And, and I remember finishing up and I think I was editing videos or something and I put it away and I rushed out to the landing area to be able to watch it with everybody else. And I ended up standing right next to Egon. Um, and yeah. Egon is watching as you guys are coming in and he's super excited and jacked up and ready to see this amazing display of, of the sky hook. And then he watches Selwyn cut away and he's like, holy shit. And then he looks to you and he's like, okay, don't fuck. Don't cut away. Don't do it. Don't, 
oh, fuck. <laughs> and I'm standing right next to him. And this is the goddamn rep for the rig. And he's like, don't fucking do it. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> and all of us yeah. are just and like, dumbfounded. I mean, and that like that was like the beginning of my sponsorship as an athlete, too, which is insane, you know, because I went to get on sponsored by both of those companies, PD and Relative Workshop. And yep. so it's one of those things, you know, obviously, probably the execution maybe wasn't as thought out as well as it could be, although I, I'd like to make the argument that it was informed by gear knowledge. But, sure. um, you know, it's one of those things people were like, oh, fuck, and uh, you shouldn't do that. But wow. Right. And, uh, and that, you know, that piece of equipment has definitely gone on to save lives. And then later, you know, I did more test jumps with it in a more controlled uh, setting, which were also super, super informative and super productive. Sure. And, uh, well, but, we were yeah, lucky too um, in Cross Keys because that was kind of the place that uh, that everybody went uh, with shit like that. I mean, when they first uh, came yeah. out with the Micron, do you remember that they brought it out to us and said, "As long as you yeah, go with yeah. a licensed skydiver, fucking do whatever you want." And it was uh, Jacko, yeah. Worthington, and I, um, them yeah. free flying the shit out of a, a Micron, and me trying to keep up with them shooting video. It was fun yeah, as fuck. Yeah, yeah. We got to do all kinds. Awesome. And, and Eddowes was taking us up in the Alouette just to do those jumps. So I was doing, you know, free yeah. helicopter jumps all over the place. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. He liked that shit too. Oh, dude. He, he was that. the you biggest know, shitster that, of us all. I mean, wasn't he the For one sure. that kind of made sure that everybody knew that uh, the backhoe had keys in it when Cusky tied himself to the bucket? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that might be a true story that he was the one that said, Hey, there are keys in that backhoe. I mean, he, he did like to, to stir shit, but he also liked to have plausible deniability. So of course, well, fuck. Know. Yeah. dude, I'd only been there for about a week when, um, as the new employee, Edo's asked me to return a van that they had used, I think for somebody's bachelor oh, party that went down Jesus to Atlantic Christ. city and I climb into the yeah. van and there's a thousand fucking beer bottles in the van. I got to take back to the <laughs> rental company. <laughs> He loved to do shit like that. Like yeah, throw man. people under the bus. Like, yeah, could you just do this for me? And it's got like a dead hooker in the fucking half pound Exactly, of man. Holy <laughs> shit. Holy shit. Well, exactly. Were exactly. were you there for when uh when they saran wrapped the entire uh restaurant? Uh yes. All right. And I mean we played so many jokes on that restaurant too. And like, yeah, oh my god, yeah, I felt bad for that guy actually. Well, wasn't yes, it, that was yeah. You, first you guys set up all the furniture up on the roof and then you saran wrapped all yeah. the furniture to the building and Oh God. Yeah. Who's whose yeah, car got put bastards. up on the who's whose car got put up on the picnic bench? Oh my god, Jack Tempe, that was <laughs> <laughs> He fucking lost it. Yeah, of course yeah, he did. Yeah, His car was fucking on the picnic sort of... bench, man. <laughs> the shit that love went... that car too. So... <laughs> he loved that car too. The shit that went on yeah. in that place was just out. Well, well, what's the most outrageous cross keys memory you've got? Oh man, hold on one second. It's I mean, it's hard to like imagine. There, there's so so many like right. Um, the, like one that stands out. Hold on, let me just have a real good think about that. Like, right? Um, oh shit! I don't know if you know about the story of me and Selwyn getting arrested on the side of the road for just beating the shit out of each other. Um, <laughs> <boy>. <laughs> so you know how I know I lived through Cross Keys is that sounds completely reasonable to me. That statement had nothing strange in it at all. 
Exactly. You know, we went out to dinner with John Eddowes, which is there's your first fucking mistake, right. you know? And so he took both of us out and, and got both of us loaded. And we were at like some comedy night and like he convinced Selwyn to like run through the restaurant naked, which already was fucking bad enough. Right. Then like on the way home, he's like, ah, I'm too drunk to drive. Wh- which one of you guys is going to drive my car? Not giving a fuck about the fact that we're both shit faced. You know right. what I mean? So Selwyn's like, all right, mate, I'll take your car. Like I'll make sure he gets home good and all that. And I, I mean, I was just drunk and unruly and I like had rolled up like a skydive magazine or skydive the mag or something and I'd rolled it up real tight to like a baton and was just slapping him in the side of the face with it while he drove drunk John Eddowes car home, you know? (laughs) So like at a certain point, he very calmly, like, you know how someone could switch to just being super calm? He very calmly looked at me and was like, Will, if you hit me with that one more time, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. And so, (laughs) and so like, of course I took that as like, you know, an invitation. So like he got going again, you know, I rolled that fucking newspaper up real tight and just slammed it into the side of his face. And he like, so calmly, so calmly pulled over the car on the side of the road, like right on the side of the road, you know, put on the e-brake, put it in park, turn it off. It was like, get out of the car, Will. And you're like, he got out of the car. And like, I got out of the car. And we're on the side of the road now. You know, this car is driving by, whatever. And I, I, he kind of squares up at me, like puts his fists up. And I put my hands up like out beside my face, palms. And I was like, what are we doing? And at, right as I said that, he just fucking punched me right in the face, you know. And I'm sure he broke my nose. It was bleeding all over the place. And then, um, you know, flash five minutes forward, he's sitting on top of me, just punching me in the head, you know. And the next thing I see is like, is like a blue streak. And like, it's a cop tackling Selwyn off of me, like pinning Selwyn down. Like another cop jumps on me. We're both in handcuffs. They put us in separate cars. They're like interrogating us. And we're... <laughs> oh my God. And they're like, what the fuck's going on? You know, they thought we were like going to kill each other. And I'm like, no, no, he's my best friend. We just beat the shit out of each other every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> they like take us back to the police station. You know, I'm like underage and drinking and whatever. And like, the, you know, a, a, anyway, Edo's had to come get us out of out of jail, and it was like a whole big thing. But it, you know, nothing. Just like everything else that happened at Kroski's that time, nothing ever came of it. Like his right. influence wasn't important enough in the community that like he could just walk in there, check an underage drunk kid out of jail, and like get the other guy who was beating the shit out of him, and we'd all just go home happily. Yep. And me and Selwyn yep. are just like best friends, like drinking and hanging out, like just had a good story. It was so, well, like that stuff like that happened all the time. That drop know? zone just was such a staple of that entire neighborhood. I mean, Williamstown, if you were a skydiver, everybody, you know, all you had to do is say cross keys yep. and everybody yep. knew and you kind of got a little bit of extra slack. I remember when uh, my dog, sure. when Diego ran away one time and he had a pink mohawk or a purple mohawk forever <laughs> and he ran away all the way down to the Wawa like two fucking miles away and I'm of course busy jumping all day and Manifest gets a telephone call from somebody randomly going, hey, so we found this dog with a purple mohawk and we figured it must belong to the drop zone <laughs> <laughs> and brought my dog back to the drop exactly because where where else would a dog with a mohawk belong it was just that bizarre i i remember like we used to do demos over at the golf course and this was years later i don't know if you were there when jimmy t was there or not and Mm. um he and i were team training and doing team landings and and at that point i was a very proficient canopy pilot and Mm. then flying with jimmy t who was world-class and had been world-class for a decade already pushed me even to the next level and um 
so we were really into like object swooping and uh we were doing demos over at the golf course and there was a wedding and there was a second floor balcony with like a row of street lights that was about 10 feet away from it and the top of the street light was right at the level of the second floor balcony and me and jimmy did like a team landing one after the other ripping right between the balcony and those streetlights, like chest level going through the balcony and the streetlights and the whole marriage party was on the balcony. And like when we when we rolled out and like got on the rears and started to recover and see that balcony and like people were like fucking diving like they thought we were going to hit them, you know, right. and we came tearing through there and then banked off and carved over the, the, the sand obstacle on the golf course and landed like right next to the green. And we were like, oh, that was awesome. And the video is awesome and all that stuff. And like the manager came out and like Jimmy was like, oh, fuck, you know, like and he like shook our hand and was like cool or whatever. And immediately he called John and we got back to the drop. zone. we got reamed for that, you know, like so it was also like skydiving stuff happening. And, And simultaneously, it was like stuff that was cutting edge and really pushing the sport forward. And that was like making the drop zone management furious, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, And that was kind of like the beginning of like my end of um of 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 my my collaboration with cross keys was when the canopy stuff started to get really um they started to crack down really hard on and and rightfully so it was right after ron and sarah and they were trying to make meaningful change to have some safety and sure. i just wasn't wasn't having it that I, that I couldn't swoop you know which is super selfish obviously but you know yeah, i was a kid i mean what it I is know? what it is you know i mean uh, i think uh, yeah. 2006 is when it faded for me and that was uh, um yeah, i mean there'd been a fair amount of tragedy in the place as well as again all the highs and all the lows and uh, i was actually still in california uh when pj happened and that's when i'm like yeah mm-hmm. i'm i'm done i'm i'm good yeah uh, it just yeah, pj uh, was Right. I mean, he was another one that that, uh, PJ was always the first one. As soon as the weather got dodgy, he was the first one to go, nope, I'm down. He was always making, you know, um, safe calls bordering on, on, you know, being super, super relaxed about, nope, I don't need to do this shit. This is fine. I'm not proving anything to anybody, you know? So when that story came about, I was pretty, uh, that one caught me off guard for sure. I didn't see that one coming at all. You know, like somebody like uh, Kuski. Uh, when when Cusky yep. got introduced to me, Kim Worthington introduced Craig Cusky to me. Literally, hey, this is Craig. He's going to be the next di- guy to die on the drop zone. Jesus Christ! And he was. Ah, uh, yeah, that's yeah. Of course well, he was. But Cusky was the of only guy I knew that took a cypress out of his rig because those pesky cypress fires kept getting in his way. He had yeah. like fucking four I mean, five that fires. Was- yeah, that was a mess too. Right. And like he, yeah, he was also in a bad spot with like drinking and using. And, oh uh, yeah, dude. That, well, that was a June twenty second, uh, two thousand and four. Will be etched into my mind literally beyond my death because June twenty first, my birthday, should have I. I was supposed to be the most fucked up at the party, and I'd only been at Cross Keys for yeah. a couple of months, <laughs> so it was oh, trash. God. Trash the new guy. Of course you do. Of course you do. And so it was heavy amounts of everything you could think of and lots of chemical entertainment. And the the goal, of course, was fuck up the birthday boy so that he falls asleep with his shoes on. All bets are off. Right. But it wasn't me. I managed somehow about 3 o'clock in the morning to make it back to my trailer and lock the fucking door so that none of you animals could get near me. And I, I, I come out about fucking nine thirty or ten o'clock the next morning, and Cusky's packed out, passed out on the back deck. Which, and this was like it was like a Wednesday. Uh, so I forgot about this. When you asked about the craziest story, this is actually the craziest. Please story, but go. It's also my favorite. Go like, right ahead, please. This is like 
I mean, like, I honestly can say to this day, like, I have mixed feelings about this story only because, like, it's simultaneously so joyful for me because it was the hardest I've ever laughed. Right. And it's also so sad for me because, like, I knew that I would never see anything funnier in my life again. Right. So, like, it was, like, the <laughs> like the best moment. But also, like, I knew that, like, I would never reach that level of comedy again in my it life. It was very bittersweet. So, like, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I also didn't get along with Kuski. He used to give me so much shit. I don't know why. It was because I was young or talented or what. But he always used to fuck with me. And so I kind of – I did not like that, that guy as much as everybody else did right. anyway. And I remember him just weeks before he – died being like you're gonna go in will like every time i've said that to somebody they i was always right blah 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 and then he went in and i was like Fuck right you. anyway so so, <laughs> so so anyway um yeah he passed out he was supposed to help me and sell and and maybe even doug urbany like work on some project for john that morning and he fucking passed out like on the back deck overlooking the the, the landing area like not just on the deck but like with his back in the middle of a step, there was like a step in the middle of the deck and he fell asleep like in the most impossibly uncomfortable. I mean, fell asleep is not the word. He was past the fuck out. Oh, yeah. Out. He was he unconscious. Had, of course, his sho- yeah, he had his shoes on and some shorts and that was it. And <laughs> I don't know. I think he had done something to Selwyn recently as well. Like he had punched Selwyn or something and he didn't have the relationship with Selwyn that I did where we could punch each other. It was fine. Right. So Selwyn was pissed at him as well. And let me tell you something. Do not fuck with Selwyn. Right. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't fuck with Selwyn. So Selwyn goes at it nice and slow. First he gets a marker, he's drawing on him. Then he somebody's like, I got some scissors, and like Selwyn cuts like a surgeon, like up the legs of his shorts. <laughs> <laughs> and like cut <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't stop no, laughing. Cut the shorts. I know, cut the shorts off of him, right? And then like like kind of like a magician pulling a tablecloth out from under glasses, just yanks it out from underneath him. And so then Kuski's laying there just naked, covered in marker. And I think somebody put nail polish on him. You they, know, somebody like, put nail polish on the tip of his dick. Dick, yeah. You know what the funniest bad. part about that one, though, was when, <laughs> when Selwyn did the magic trick and yanked his shorts out from under him, literally everybody in that crowd took a second to pause and went, I didn't think his dick would be that big. <laughs> <laughs> You can see it. It so, was an absolute pause yeah. in the entire thing. It's, wow, he's, he's carrying a bit of a. It was like there. okay. <laughs> <laughs> and for those that did not know Craig Kusky, Craig Kusky was, for lack of a better way to put it, a dirtbag. He was. He had a big the heart, fucking, and I, yeah. I was. I was a fan of Kusky because he was amazing with my daughter. But he was a dirtbag. I mean, this is a guy that would wear yeah. shorts that hadn't been washed in a fucking month, and the, his idea of a shower was diving in the swimming pool. You know. Yeah. Right. Or the pond. Yeah. yeah. Kusky was a, a unique guy. Definitely a unique. He guy. was a unique guy. Yeah. Yeah. He was. Yeah. He was an odd duck. Anyway, go ahead. And he was not an easy person to get along with all the time either anyway so then he's naked then he's got nail polish on his dick and then i remember distinctly toast fucking oh my god he was the one that goes i got some peanut butter and you know (laughs) (laughs) and like like selwyn's fucking eyes turned to like saucers and his gaze fixed on toast and he was like go get it you know what i mean (laughs) and like toast is like okay i'll put it in the microwave first so it pours out easy you know and so he puts he comes back with like a warm jar of peanut 
<laughs> I cannot believe I'm telling this story That's in like awesome. a public forum. That's awesome. So then like so there's this melted peanut butter soup, whatever, and Selwyn like um starts pouring it on Craig's dick, you know, and the dog, somebody goes and gets Marley, Marley. And drops on dog. <laughs> oh Marley, and this was the nastiest fucking dog you have ever Poor seen. Marley. Poor Marley. <laughs> and so he pours it on craig's dick and like you know marley's like fuck that and somebody's like you gotta (laughs) i can't stop laughing i'm sorry somebody's like you gotta prime the dog first and so someone takes like a spoon dips it in the peanut butter and like marley starts licking the spoon and he just leads her over to craig's balls yep and then just pours a bunch of peanut butter on his balls and she just started to clean it up you know (laughs) and i remember i remember danny coon going Marley, no! (laughs) (laughs) And the 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 fucking absolute cacophony of laughter. I mean, we must have been thirty people. It was the entire staff, Cruzy, all the manifest people, everybody. It was like nine o'clock in the morning on a workday. And customers filling out waivers. Yes, there were tandems filling out waivers, like on the other side of the building. And everybody's just looking at this fucking spectacle, and everybody's laughing. I remember my stomach hurting so bad from laughter and um oh god yes and then yeah he's yeah he started to get like hard and everything and then somebody goes <laughs> somebody said started yelling craig wake up you're having a nightmare you know what i mean <laughs> yeah i remember him waking up and like lifting his head and looking between his legs and seeing marley <laughs> well and and if i'm if if my memory serves me correctly he looks down sees marley still going to town and he just kind of goes huh and then drops his head back down on the deck <laughs> exactly oh my. and then like at some point i think somebody kind of intervened to stop the spectacle before things got really out of hand and i remember him like getting up and running into the hangar and there was this t- scale there that we weighed tandem students on he's buck naked and there were tandem students in there and he stood up and put his hands up and went i made weight you know like he was a boxer getting ready for a fight and like me and pancake and somebody else like wrestling him to put a jumpsuit like a student jumpsuit on him just so he wouldn't be running around naked yep and we put a jumpsuit on maybe it was you i don't remember who it was me and somebody else and uh and getting a jumpsuit on him and and then him just passing out again and just i was like at like at the same time my life had reached its pinnacle of like seeing the funniest thing i'd ever seen and also like it was the last time i would ever laugh so hard so i know there's video of that around there but i still is. haven't seen it you know people people some out of out of some uh, um misplaced respect won't let that video air i would i know kill. that's such bullshit that is such bullshit like who uh, anybody who thinks that's respecting craig did not know craig all right exactly <laughs> that's that's my thing is yeah. I mean, come on i mean because he ended up getting out of that jumpsuit and because it was my day off the next day i made damn Jesus. sure i had june 22nd off so i could recover from what yeah. i assumed would be the roughest night of my life it turned out to be the roughest <laughs> night of his life yeah. so i'm at the pool uh you know they had revamped the pool and so we've got that uh you know above ground pool and everybody's relaxing and craig is laying on a raft in the water still buck naked it and somebody actually had to throw a <laughs> towel over his fucking balls so nobody had to sit and <laughs> stare at craig's balls the entire time i mean only fucking cross keys like only at cross keys could you have tandem students landing and like a drunk naked guy who just got molested by a dog floating past <laughs> out on the surface of a pool right. right like and and everybody just thinking that was hilarious like well, it, it was kind of funny was... because i think marley passed away a couple of months later and i just naturally assumed it was from shame <laughs> 
Exactly. It was just exactly. shame from having done that. Because I remember looking at Marley, and granted, I was still recovering from the chemical entertainment from the night before. And I remember looking at Marley as uh, the, the, the uh, peanut butter is happening, and with you could just see this twinge of regret in the dog's eyes. <laughs> like, why the fuck did you yeah. make me do this? Yeah. Like, I can't resist peanut butter. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> that was still to this day. I mean, it's it's a joke, and people say they know somebody that saw somebody. We have fucking there's video and photos of it out there. And I mean, yeah, high resolution stills for sure. Oh that happened. My. That's not like I and mean, there's so many things like that that happened at Cross Keys. I mean, that should be a movie. I know you wrote a book. I haven't read the book, but I often think about writing a book too, just from like oh, the amount dude. of shit, like you know that uh, that was so unbelievable i like i like whatever that the uh you know on the road by jack jack kerouac right Right. i saw the movie read the book you know i don't know it just seemed like it's like a calm tuesday at cross keys most of that shit you know what i mean like yeah i'm like people are like oh my god like you know and like i was like what whatever like you want to you want to see some shit you should go back to cross keys circa 2002 to 2005 oh yeah man well when i took the job at cross keys i took it out in uh las vegas i left the job the normal job that i had in las vegas because cross keys was by far the busiest drop zone in the u.s if not the world at the time um and uh so i'd found out about it and and uh had uh talked to uh people at the drop zone and been offered the job and i took the job at cross keys and this will make you laugh because it was the responsible choice, <laughs> right? To go oh, make money. Shit. You thought you were like settling down. Oh, Absolutely. Man, I'm like, like oh, all right, man. I'm going to go be a professional skydiver now. And this is the busiest drop zone. And it's going to be, you know, high and tight. And I'm going to bang this Good shit for out. me. Right. Absolutely. And, and cut to a month and a half into Cross Keys. And I'm sitting in the pee pit tripping balls going, this was the responsible choice. <laughs> the fuck? Somebody exactly. just showed me the secret of the pee pit, and I'm like, "What am I doing with my life? Holy shit!" Right? Yeah, and, yeah. It was time tripping in the peas myself, my friend. Yeah, <laughs> what a spot, man! That drop yeah, zone yeah, just. Sure. You know, it's funny. I've I've had uh, Norman on here, um, and uh, oh man, I gotta listen to his. Oh, dude, it's wonderful. Yeah, well, you know Norman; he's such cool. a storyteller. Yeah. You know, and and so you yeah, you sure. listen to Norman talk, and and uh, he actually we talked quite a bit about Sarah and. Uh, uh, she had yeah. given him a Bible before she had passed away, and he kept forever. And, and then uh, it finally parted ways with him. And so he talks fondly about that kind of stuff. But so I talked to Norman. Yeah. I uh, believe it or not, coming up on the podcast is going to be Miss Kim Turnbull, previously Worthington. Oh man, that's oh, going to be a good one too. Oh yeah, I'm going to love talking to her. <laughs> I tried to get uh, Mr. Jackson to come on. He's having nothing of it. <laughs> <laughs> he wants nothing to do with this shit. Can't blame and of him. Of course, he doesn't. No, yeah. no, no. But lots of Cross Keys alumni, you know, that uh, that have been back there, and there were such amazing people back there. I mean, uh, um, that I always look back on fondly, even those that are gone. I mean, Liz Mann was a close friend of everybody's. Um, yeah. and what an amazing human being she was. Every time I think about her, I can't help but smile. Same as Rob Stanley. You just for sure, you, for sure. you just can't not grin. You know. Um, a lot of bittersweet stuff, but a lot of amazing stuff. Now, when you decided to transition away from Cross Keys, where did you end up going from there? So, you know, right after Sarah died, <clears throat> not right after, I had, I guess, another season, but, you know, the, the following year I met Angela, who's my, my wife currently, and mm. uh, um, I, I was pretty traumatized by having lost Sarah so quickly, and we had been together romantically, and we had talked about just before she died, like, 
we had had spent another night together and, and, and said like, let's get serious about this and let's make this happen. I don't usually talk to that about people. It was four days before she died, right before mm. I went off to Wildwood. It was like, okay, let's make this happen. And, uh, had exchanged some pretty important feelings or whatever. And, um, <clears throat> and then she was gone. Sure. You know, you know, and, uh, so when I met Angela, I was like, uh, okay, she's awesome. And I was like, we marry me. <laughs> I was like, right, <laughs> right away. I just, I think this fear of having lost Sarah so fast, I, 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 I snapped up Angela as quick as I could and we got married and, um, we moved, you know, I moved uh, that And then I was like getting into it with John all the time about landings and swooping. And I was like, fuck this. And so I started just organizing on loads of different drop zones and didn't really have a home drop zone anymore. Right. And then me and Angela, and I did that for a year or two, you know, and it was awesome. I loved it so much. Of you know, course. Celebrity status. And I, and I was traveling around and, and swooping and jumping and doing whatever I wanted, you know, and that was awesome. Then we moved to France. When we moved to France, I went from like being full on celebrity, like the Skyhook guy sponsored and <laughs> everything and never paying for jumps. And everybody knew who I was on the whole East Coast. Every drop zone I went to, people were like, oh man, like, what, can I jump with you? What are you doing? Like, what do you think about this landing? To like being in France. I worked with, I worked on in Spain and Imperia Brava for a minute with like doing a little bit with Babylon, but like not really. And, um, and then I was like, there was like a local DZ close to my house where I live in France that was super expensive, tiny Cessna operation. The staff were kind of douchebags. Hmm. Nobody really knew that much about what was going on. Like I was jumping RDS. They had never seen it. Like they thought I was having like reserve, um, fires or something like they're like what the fuck is that like you know you know what i mean right. and so you know so and it was like 38 euros a jump which at the time was like 50 bucks so i had been sure. getting free celebrity jumping all over the country and now i'm supposed to be paying 50 bucks a jump for a crappy drop zone jumping by myself essentially right. so i um I just kind of was like, Ugh, not into it. And I started base jumping more and slowly stopped skydiving. And then, uh, not, you know, not just, just like a, you know, going from being free jumps and celebrity status to like paying expensive jumps and being a nobody. I was like, fuck that. It was probably too arrogant for it at the time. Sure. So then I was base jumping a bunch, you know, and then when the kids were born, I was jumping a lot by myself. And then I, uh, I, you know, the last, the end of my serious base jumping career, I was like in Louther Brunin. My wife was like in the landing area with both of our kids. No, she had Red Sky, who's my daughter. Mm. Um, it was like, um, a year old or something. And she was pregnant with Livingston, who, who would be born shortly after. Mm. And I was like standing, like standing on this cliff, looking at my family, just being like, fuck, that's too much pressure. You know what I mean? Like it's right. just weird juju having your whole family there waiting for you. Um, and, and then I just was like, I just, this moment, this isn't that right for me. And so I sure. kind of slowly stepped back from it, stepped into like a family role and did a lot more family stuff and, um, had several years where I wasn't really actively doing any, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, sort of mental, mentally challenging sports and then sure. got back into rock climbing when my kids were a little older and have been avidly rock climbing for years now. And I've done like several five thirteens this year, wow. a couple of five twelve. So I climb at a pretty good, yeah, I climb at a pretty yeah, good level. Then recently got back in, started highlining, you know, which is fuck. You think base jumping scary. <laughs> highlining, <laughs> highlining is like an hour long base jump. You know, base jumping, you just commit once you step right. off and then you survive. Highlining, you commit every single second, every single step. So I recently got into that, and um, 
and now kind of reopening the door of base jumping again, I think in a sort of a better place. My kids are a little older. I'm feeling a little bit more calm, a little more centered sure. and all the exposure from rock climbing and highlining, um, has kind of made me feel pretty comfortable with, with that. Sure. So yeah, the, sort yeah, of a full, a full I, sort of detour and then back to, you know, whatever. Sure. Well, I've tried to explain to my friends that don't, uh, that don't skydive or, or, you know, really aren't into the quote unquote extreme stuff. Um, that climbing always scared me so much more. Um, and I, I did a one particular route uh, that will always stand out with a, a skydiver friend of mine uh, who about halfway up a, a five-pitch trad route wasn't sure he was still mm. on the route. Um, you know, thought he might, oh, yeah, thought he might be lost. And yeah. uh, um, that yeah. was when the, the, um, the saying, the only way down is up. Um, kicked yeah. in and uh, yeah. that's a level of, of uh, sustained fear people don't understand you know exactly skydiving is this quick burst you know uh, and so you don't yeah. even have yeah. to really learn to uh, to handle the fear that much because it passes so quickly uh, but when you've got yes. this sustained fear man you've really got to climb into your own head and figure out how to calm down that fight or flight mentality and climbing is fucking intense, you know, and, and I've done, yeah. uh, I've done slacklining, but I've not done any highlining, uh, and yeah. slacklining, just the idea of getting my balls smacked by the lion is enough to scare me. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so being really high up, fuck, no, no. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's like it, one thing I think it, you go in levels of fear is like you said, skydiving. I think we all get pretty comfortable pretty quick and you don't really have to handle that fear that much. You make one commitment and then you enjoy it. Base sure. jumping kind of multiplies that by a factor of 10, the, the feeling of fear, you know, and you take that to um, climbing. It gets a little more intense. I love climbing, and I, lo I actually love falling. I'm like known in France where I climb as the guy who like laughs and smiles while he falls <laughs> because like, you know, you know, I've had sins where I finish a route and uh, it's, you know, it's great. It's like, it's like the climbing orgasm, right? But like I've had falls that feel way more intense and way more joyful than, sure. than, the, than the actual send, you know what I mean? And then, so you take that and you go to highlining next and highlining, it multiplies the fear of base jumping by maybe a hundred. Uh, I mean, because it's actually much safer, you know, very few fatalities sure. since the beginning of highlining three, maybe four, that's it. You know, I mean, how many base jumping fatalities we have this year, oh, God. Right? right? But, you know, sit on a two inch pe wide piece of webbing and tell your brain that it's safe. Your brain's like, fuck you. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and <laughs> so you, it takes a sustained, you're sitting, you're bathing in the fear and, and focusing. And it, it, so that multiplied fear effect, I think gives it a multiplied, uh, sort of feeling of Zen as well, which a lot of base jumpers, a lot of skydivers, you know, describe the sport much more as like giving some peace and some Zen than, than anything else. And, and highlining's just, the continuation of that for me. Sure. You know, well, I think eventually I probably would like to do some baselining or something like that, but we'll see how it goes. Sure. You know? Well, I mean, there's definitely levels to it. And of course, everybody reaches their, their particular limit or they don't. Um, I, I did a, a magazine interview with, uh, uh, Noah base jumper and wingsuiter a long time ago and, and asked him, I'm like, so, uh, you know, do you have a line that you won't cross? And he's like, uh, no, I haven't found it yet. And I'm like, how do you feel about yeah. that? And he's like, it makes me nervous that it doesn't make me nervous. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. all I right. Mean, I'm like, yeah. I understand that. I get where you're coming from that you just have, there's not a line out there you've yet found that you're not willing to cross. For me personally, I was yeah. lucky. Um, that line got drawn in the sand with me um, when, 
I was going to become a dad because I was very early in my skydiving career. So I still mm-hmm. thought skydiving was crazy dangerous um, and hadn't yeah. really, you know, f- hadn't really become a true skydiver yet. And the decision yeah. to never base jump just kind of became that decision. You know, I never second guessed. Wow, it. you never, you never base jumped. Huh? Never made a base jump, man. I filmed them. I've wow. watched the mayhem off a of bridge day. I've seen all that stuff, and yeah. I've seen just like before I got my tandem rating, I had seen enough of them go badly that I'm like, ooh, yeah, no, nah, I don't think that's for me. <laughs> Oh, you gotta, you gotta do it, bro. It's so, it's so awesome. It's so awesome. You know what I mean? And like, a- a- anyway, I think, you know, speaking of lines and base jumping and it's funny how that sport has changed and, and evolved and, oh. uh, how stepping back from it, like, yeah, I don't know. It's just so, it's so unusual that in a sport that like skill and capacity and ability does not seem to protect people from uh, dying. In no. fact, it's the opposite. It's the, like the better that you are, and this this can be true somewhat in climbing, but not really, not the same level as base jumping. Like, in fact, the the better that you are, and the more skilled you are, the the more likely that you are to to go in. You know, when Dean Potter went in, that was just like, right. what the fuck is wrong with this sport? You know, nobody I mean? expected like, it. That's like Michael Jordan you know, dying Ex- in, in a basketball game. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like it just doesn't, yeah, yeah. It's well, not that's like. The, that's the thing is, is uh, um, for quite a while there, especially as wingsuit proximity flying really gained a lot of traction, you became the best mm-hmm. because the best died. Yeah, exactly. Which, which, I mean, that's been true for a long time. I mean, all the way back, if you remember um, Dwayne Weston, you know, all, I mean, all these guys, it's always, it's always like that. Oh, you know? yeah. Well, and all and, the pioneers, yeah. I mean, Patrick de Gardon and all these guys that were, yep. you know, yeah. were the, the pioneers of this shit. Well, they were pushing those limits just like the rest of these guys are. Uh, I talked uh-huh. to uh, um, uh, a couple of hardcore um, mountain-based jumping wingsuit guys, Nick and Matt Munting, um, that... Uh, are out just doing all these badass things. And, and, uh, to my relief, they're like, yeah, so we've kind of gotten away from the proximity stuff and we're still doing stuff close to the mountains, but not like this. And so for somebody like yeah. me that doesn't base jump, that's a huge relief because I've got lots of friends yeah. that do that shit, you know? And, yeah. and, yeah. uh, just like you, I've said goodbye to a lot of friends. So it's kind of nice to go, yeah. Oh, you're not doing that <laughs> stuff anymore. Okay, good. You know? Yeah. Well, cause at a certain point, like I, I think it's been well documented now that you can fly a wingsuit as close to the ground as you want for as long as you want, you know, as long as the terrain supports the flight that you're going, there's infinite possibilities. There's, and the capacity is clearly nearly unlimited, except for if you actually touch, you know? So I think we have, we have demonstrated that that's a capable thing. So like pushing it further, what what do you want to do? I mean, guys have flown underground now, you know, (laughs) there is no pushing it further unless we dig a fucking hole straight through the earth and somebody flies across, you know, like, I mean, Right. So now it's got to be like uh, more about like the flight potential, you know, and, and yeah. what is the actual flight. Well, fuck. Now I see these guys, you know, bailing off the off the hill and, and flying down the train and then pitching up away from the train, flaring and doing acrobatics in their flare and then going back yeah. into full flight. It's just it's it's absolutely aerobatic flight. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's far enough away th- yeah. from the terrain that I can take a deep breath because Personally, at least for me, I'm not impressed when I see the, you know, the bush brushing past somebody's shoulder. I'm horrified. Hmm. Uh, I mean, it it appeals to something in me, in in me of this, like, 
I don't know. It reminds me of when I was object swooping a lot. And there's something about the feeling of control and, and proficiency that is profoundly appealing to me. And so seeing somebody fly like that, I'm like, okay, that guy's locked in. But I, I, it's like I said, I think like how, where do you want to go with it? Like what you can't do any deeper lines. I mean, you know, you got Scotty Bob fucking basically scraping his chest strap on a mountain trail for two minutes, you know, like what, 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 what what do we want? Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? So uh, there was a, there was a huge amount of freedom for somebody like me who woke up one morning and went, Oh, I'm never going to be the best at this or that. I'm never going to be the best swooper. I'm never going to be the best free flyer. I'm certainly never going to be a badass base jumper. And there's a huge amount of freedom in just going, Oh, I got nobody to impress. You know, I, I fly my little Velo 96 and I have fun with my fucking two seventies and that's it. No one's ever going to go, Ooh, and ah with my swooping, which is amazing. You know, because yeah. it allows me that freedom. So walking away from yeah. it going, I don't need to be the best. I'm never going to be a champion. Yeah. Any of that stuff is is kind of nice. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, I, I think that's part of how I kind of really started to kill my enjoyment of it. it was like I, 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 I did think I could be a world-class athlete. And I think at, at a time and a place I was, you know. Sure. I was world-class in swooping and in pre-flying. And there is a pressure, at least in my head. <laughs> and there is – um. There is pressure that comes with that, and I felt a tremendous amount of pressure, and it didn't it didn't make my skydiving very joyful. And that's why now, like now when I jump, it is so fucking amazing because I have right. zero pressure, and I ha- yeah, and I haven't I haven't jumped in years. So when I get when I jump, it's just pure joy, and it's like totally automatic. The instinct to fly to to fly canopy to fly my body it comes back immediately and I feel almost completely as proficient as I was, you know, I'm sure I'm not, but I feel that way. And, but it's all joy. It's all pure joy. There's no stress. You know, when Liz died and we were doing, I mean, I did like 20 jumps that weekend. I hadn't jumped in like four years and like 20 jumps that weekend and doing high level free flying and just felt great about it. And it was so nice. I'm here in Moab base jumping now again and i did a bit for my first jump and in years since probably 2014 was my last base jump and um no 2016 maybe anyway was my last base jump and um immediately just immediately felt 100 percent comfortable like i jumped canopy open my brother who actually static lined me or pca'd me was like up there and i knew i was pretty close i sealed up like i'm good bro thanks you know and like i just flew immediately the instinct of flying the canopy I felt like I had done it yesterday sure. and my accuracy was good and my landing, I stood up my landing, you know, sure. like, it, and so, yeah, it's amazing. It's well, it was the same thing sport. when I got back into jumping cause I took about four years off and, and wasn't jumping at all because right. I transitioned into flying yeah. planes for a long, long time. Right. And, and I'd always been yeah. a working skydiver, you know, I mean, I, I started shooting video, then I chucked drugs and then I did AFF and that's just what I did, you know? Um, mm. and so I took those four years off and I'm, I, I decided I'll jump again if the idea ever you know, really starts to appeal to me. And a, a buddy of mine, after about four years, had been, hey, you know, you're not flying these next few loads. You should come make a jump with me. And the idea actually yeah. made me nervous. I'm like, ooh, yeah. skydive, holy shit. And I went and jumped. And for the first time in literally 15 years, I made a fun jump. And it was amazing. Yeah. And so now I'm just a yeah. fun jumper. You know, I'm a, I'm an average. That's awesome. Fl- yeah, it's fantastic, awesome. man. I'm an average free flyer. I'm an average canopy pilot. Nobody's ever going to be impressed yep. with anything other than the fact that I'm having a fucking blast. 
<laughs> exactly, bro. And that's exactly. all that. And it's great, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's it, so great. Honestly, the one thing, like, periodically I'll toy with the idea of getting current again. And usually I'll jump and I'll be like, yeah, I'm going to fucking get current again. It's going to be awesome. Right. And, like, the one thing that really, really sticks in my mind that I have never done and that is the only stone that is unturned for me in in skydiving is tandems. I have never been a tandem instructor, mm. and um, I feel like I would love to just be like the UPS the UPS guy, like just hauling fucking loads sure. of, of 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 useless meat on the first jump, and like enjoying that that reaction of the canopy opening and taking people you know or you don't know on their first jump. I think is probably a pretty special thing, and. Uh, that's definitely in my mind. Oh, um, I think it definitely like, in the wow. headspace that you're in nowadays, especially because of all the yoga and stuff. Like when I started yeah. doing tandems, I hate, I did not want to become a tandem master. The idea terrified me. I'd see too many of them go bad and, and, uh, the pressure of having another life in your hands and all that stuff. And, and it took me about a hundred tandems before I took this one guy on a tandem and I watched his entire demeanor change from the time that we got suited up to the time that we landed. And it became a, yeah. Oh my God, I did that. You know, I, I gave them yeah. to this person. And now if you're yeah. to ask me my favorite way I ever made jumps was tandems because I shared so yeah. many yeah. special experiences. And although people will never remember my name and wouldn't be able to spot me in a crowd, they'll always remember that little gift that I gave them. Uh, I think you'd For fucking sure. dig that all to hell, especially, you know, being a yoga instructor and all that. Now it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like a, a yoga mentality, but in fast forward. <laughs> You know, boom, here you go. Here's, <laughs> exactly. Here's some fucking Zen for you in 60 seconds. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I think you dig it, man. And it's a challenge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I loved, I loved AFF. I, and that's the same thing. Actually, AFF's a challenge. I loved AFF for all those reasons, the sharing and the giving somebody something cool and new. And, um, and yeah, I just never did tandems because I really wanted to be, always be flying my own canopy. But now I don't give a shit. So right, right. I don't know. We'll see. You know, I, I, it could be cool. Could yeah, be a fun no, little man, way I, to. Yeah, you know. it's it's a it's an entertaining way to do it, and it's also a very uh, it's a very cool way to start to learn people in a big way. Obviously, if you're doing AFF, yeah. they've already kind of got the desire to make that jump. But it's really cool to take someone who maybe this this tandem was a birthday gift for them, and they're really not sure about this shit, and to have to yeah. try and figure out that mental puzzle to make this particular person comfortable with the fact that you're going to potentially try and kill them. You know, and yeah, right, exactly. It's it, and it's an amazing thing to watch them face this ridiculous fear, overcome it, and then not only just face the fear, but turn out to have a shitload of fun. It's a really That's fucking it. cool thing. Really, really cool. Yeah. So now, speaking yeah. of, how did you how did you transition into the into the yoga thing? All right. So I mean. Well, that's a whole other thing is like I – so, you know, I'm pretty – if you talk to people about me and cross keys, like one of a few things will come up. And <laughs> usually it's like either the skyhook jump. Right. If I'm lucky, maybe it will be some kind of cool skydiving-related thing, but probably not. <laughs> or it will be something related – it will be something related to like me drinking or taking drugs. Right. So uh, <laughs> so the transition into yoga happened for me – um, because like, hold on, let me just think now. Nine years ago, I, uh, I had to take a long, hard look at my, my, my consumption of alcohol and drugs sure. and decided that it was unhealthy. My relationship with alcohol and drugs was unhealthy and, uh, made the choice to get sober. And so I have been sober for going on, I'll be nine years completely sober, no drugs and alcohol. Wow. Congratulations. Uh, in about, in, thank you, sir. In about, um, 
three weeks. I'll be, it'll be September 29th. So maybe not even three weeks, two and a half weeks. I'll have fully nine years, which is um, a whole other, yeah, that's a whole other Ted talk we could do. But (laughs) anyway, I, so yeah, right. Exactly. So that kind of like started me on this other path of like self exploration. And as a part of that, I, uh, I ventured, you know, into, um, as I mentioned, climbing, but also into yoga, started practicing yoga, found that like, I really loved it. And then I, I loved the stillness and the movement and the concentration and the meditation. And, and I think all the things that people love about yoga. So I started sure. practicing myself and then we had some sort of situations at home that were going to require that like, you know, for years I was a stay at home dad, which sure. was awesome. Um, but then we came up on some situations at home, which were going to require that I get, uh, that I get a job. And, um, at that point in my life was like, I am not doing something that I don't love. Sure. Like I'm not going to do it. You know what sure. I mean? And, um, I had a very, very close friend who was a yoga instructor and she was like, well, like, you know what you need to do. Right. I was like, no, she was like, you need to become a yoga instructor. I was like, get out of here. You know what I mean? And, uh, so she kind of convinced me to do a training. I did my first training. I started working right away. Honestly, I really believe strongly. And when I do my CVs today, I still put my, um, skydiving stuff on there. Sure. Uh, And I really believe that like the amount of time that I spent free flying, teaching free flying, teaching doing AFF, um, cause it's the same exact thing. It's proprioception, it's focus, it's, um, you know, body positioning and movement and control. Sure. And, um, I really feel like all of that gave me, when I started teaching, I, I, I think I started with like a level of comfort and proficiency as a teacher that a lot of other yoga teachers don't have for, for years of teaching. Sure. And so I, I um, got trained and I started teaching right away. I've been doing that for several years now, two, three years, three years. And now I teach about 16 hours a week, nice. um, which is a pretty full week, you know, and it's great. I set myself up. I work three, four days a week, teach 16 hours a week and I make, you know, really good money in Geneva. And, um, yeah, I feel really, really fortunate. Just like skydiving kind of, fell into it and then committed myself to it hard and, uh, and love it. Love, nice. love, love it. Nice. Know, super, super happy. So you're, you're yeah. in an area of France that's close to Geneva, Switzerland. That's correct. Yeah. I'm just outside. I mean, like if I, I mean, I live in a village called Chenet, but it's a tiny little village in the French countryside. And in fact, the closest thing to where I live is Geneva, Switzerland. That's super cool. I mean, especially considering you and I met in, in, uh, jersey <laughs> i know it's it's bizarre the path that it took right i mean because none for of the sure, things sure. none of that insanity that went on in cross keys and and you know whatever led us to cross keys none of this would have happened if it weren't for that shit mm-hmm. <laughs> i think about exactly that and that's it yeah, yeah oh yeah man for sure that's definitely what led us all to where we are yeah if you're ever through this one you need to you need to come oh. hit me up bro oh always for sure oh no without a doubt yeah without a doubt. Cool, it's cool, uh cool. yeah it's it's uh um looking back on those times it's kind of funny because as soon as we get going on stuff like cross keys that all just comes flooding back it's just mm. this insane wave of holy shit did we survive that did we actually do that that's did, it i thought that's i dreamed it, yeah. that shit <laughs> yeah some of it dude some of it for sure i think back and i'm like oh my god oh yeah you know did that happen yeah, yeah, yeah. no I, I can't even count how many times that i look back and go oh yeah i, I shouldn't still be here no way. No way. No way. <laughs> exactly. But I wouldn't exactly. get back those experiences for anything, good and bad. I, I wouldn't no get way. back any of the negative because that means that I lose some of the positive as well. That's it. 
So for for everybody that's listening, we've got first time skydivers, we've got long time skydivers, and I I generally ask my guests this: what kind of inter, what kind of uh, um, advice would you give to those that are just getting into the sport, uh, and what advice yeah. would you give to those that have been in the sport a long time and they're maybe getting burned out, maybe looking for uh, to find a new kind of joy in the sport? You know, what what uh, what advice do you give to them? That's a great great question. I have a couple things that for sure I've been thinking about because, like I said, I'm. I'm back here kind of base jumping and skydiving again uh, as I haven't been in years. Sure. And um, I'm really impressed. You know, I'm, you probably know my brother, Matt. Oh, yeah. And um, he, he's get, getting married to, uh, you know, absolutely a world-class skydiver, Katie. I, I don't want to say their names because whatever, but so well, Matt she's and Katie. Be, she's going really to be on my podcast here real soon as well. She Get she's... out of here. You're going to talk to Katie Hedges? That's hilarious. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah. All right, cool. So anyway, so anyway – I'll brag on her for just a minute. First of all, she's an amazing human being. Yes. Second of all, you know, being here and putting myself in risk situations with them, they have both of them, Matt and Katie, but um, have this, hold on, how do I say it? Like tremendously aware, tremendously well-informed and uh, tremendously attentive decision-making process Mm before they put themselves in risk situations. And that includes skydiving as much as base jumping. I think Katie Henson is just as, from what I see, she pays just as much attention to detail in, in her skydiving risk um, assumption as she does in her base jumping sure. risk um, assumption. Sure. And like, so I guess for both, you know, people who are just starting and for people who are going I think that's really, really important. I've been really impressed by Katie because I didn't live that way. I got to, I was like, ah, whatever, it's going to be fine. Like, sure. you know what I mean? And, um, and that's not how you, that's not how you stay alive in skydiving for a long time. Right. You know, you stay, stay alive in skydiving and especially in base jumping for a long time, which, you know, base jumping has changed now. You can have 800, a thousand jumps before you couldn't, you know? Sure. 200 jumps was like, holy shit, you know? And, and it is by continuing to stay, you know, not just vigilant, that makes it sound like you're not having fun. Right. But it's like studious. You know what I mean? Sure. They, she's paying attention. She's paying attention to what's happening, to what's going on around her in terms of drop zones, drop zones, different drop zones, safety, uh, what people are doing on loads, and it's staying informed in terms of gear and stuff like that. And she's she's studious about what, what is happening, and she's aware, and she makes good and astute decisions based on that studious information. Sure. And so that's what I would say to people who are starting or to people who are still going. It's like, don't get complacent, but mm-hmm. like stay, you know, stay aware. And, oh, yeah. uh, and that doesn't mean it's not fun. That just means you're being realistic and you can, you can have longevity in the sport, you know? And I think one more thing for people who have been going for years who are starting, you know, losing that feeling, looking for that new enjoyment. I think it's like just what me, me and you said, like step back a little bit, you know, mm. for, especially you mentioned doing a fun jump for the first time in 16 years. Like that's crucial. So many guys just do tandems, you know, sure. and don't ever fun jump like i'm sorry that's not the way you're going to enjoy skydiving that's not going to work for you you know or anybody so get out there get your rig on and 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 enjoy it and or if you're like a high level flyer and you're hating it which is what i was doing you know crushing it flying really great but also feeling shitty about it 
do something different. Get sure. a tandem rating. Go, you know, go do, do hop and pops. Go do, to the jump, the person with the least experience on the drop zone and do a flat two way. Right. You know what I mean? And just laugh the whole way down. Right. Like change it up and, and, and really make it about fun. Like it's supposed to be fun. And if you lose that fun, you're just wasting your time. Oh, yeah. I mean, as soon as you lose the joy in something like skydiving, why on earth would you do something as potentially dangerous as we've chosen to do with basically our entire lives if you don't have a true enjoyment of it? Not necessarily a passion, because passion isn't always a good thing. Passion can sometimes just be insanity. Uh, It's got to be a joy of it. And uh, now I'll go out and make those goofy jumps when I go up to altitude and and literally just... You grab here, I'll grab there, we'll roll this way and see what happens. And you just fucking yeah, laugh exactly. the entire skydive, you know? <laughs> exactly. And that's the big exactly. benefit, too, to, you know, you you look back at a, a the career 11,000 jumps later, and those 11,000 jumps only allowed me to do one thing, and that's to giggle my ass off all the way down on this skydive because I was vigilant yeah. enough to make sure that my equipment's up to par and that I know what the yep. fuck is going on. So now the yep. safety aspect of it is there. I've done my due diligence and now i just get to laugh and it's fucking yep that's it yeah it's fucking hilarious exactly right absolutely yeah that's exactly right and it's it's such a joy too especially when you can see other people lighting up like that and you go oh i know where he is or i know they were there it's the same thing as good drugs Mm. oop yep it kicked in look at him (laughs) (laughs) exactly it's the same thing you watch people (laughs) joining you in that same arena and you go okay cool we're all here now Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so now you you've got the the um you're back into jumping, you're back in Moab, you're doing all this stuff, you're doing the yoga as well. Is there so you, you there's a random person in France or Switzerland listening right now that wants to go to one of your yoga classes? How do they do that? Uh, I mean, they can definitely find me on Facebook. Will Assure for sure is easy. L A S H O H E R, um, or um. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of Geneva yoga studios where I teach. Um, um, Soham Yoga Geneva, also Sphere um, Yoga Studio, and that's the easiest way to get me. But uh, probably Facebook is is the easiest. I think you and I are Facebook friends, so anybody who's listening to this who's looking to get some get some time on a yoga mat or a high line or a rock climb or I don't know, maybe do the occasional jump, um, can can definitely find me on Facebook awesome. through you or my name. Awesome. Well, I guarantee a whole lot more uh, conversations are going to be coming up about cross keys. Uh, and uh, I, I have a feeling I'm going to want to hash out some more cross key stories with you <laughs> for sure. Cause oh, man, I would love that. Let me know. I don't think know. I've, I don't think I'm going to get, what's your listenership on this podcast? Like, do you know, um, like how many downloads you, I'm doing about 3000 downloads a month now. Holy shit. Yeah. I had no clue. I thought I was talking to like 30 people. Fuck no, man. No, no, no. You're, people you're... might actually hear this. See, there's a few people that are going to hear yeah, this cool. for sure. That's why I always uh, give my cool. guests the option. Like if you said something you don't want to say, tell me before I air this no, fucking thing. No, no, man. It's all good. It's all good. I'll be curious. Yeah, I'll be curious to hear if I hear from anybody or anything. Oh, you will. You will That's for cool. sure. That's the benefit to the so. fact that I've been doing this with Blue Skies Magazine because they've got such a big reach and I've been writing for them for 10 years now. So um, Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so they pump stuff out there, you know. Uh, it turns out that all my being full of shit for all these years has helped out in one way or another. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Well, I'll tell you what, Will, don't hang up quite yet, but thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk to me, man. This has been fucking hilarious. Yeah, I really enjoyed it's it. It's been absolutely wonderful. I really appreciate the time, man. Take care of yourself. Thanks. You too, bro. Cheers.
Well, that was one hell of a stroll down memory lane for uh, for this edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that one as much as I did. Uh, again, as always, brought to you by, uh, in association with Blue Skies Magazine, the greatest magazine in the known universe. If you want to subscribe, blueskiesmagazine.com to get your monthly dose. Also, get those pictures taken and send them on in. See if you can't manage to get yourself onto the cover. If you got a story to tell, put pen to paper. Like I always say, if I can write for them, so can you. There's always a good story out there to be had. And if you've got some advertising to do, Blue Skies magazine is the way to reach all of those skydivers everybody's listening um as far as my other sponsor goes it's craftimaging.eu craftimaging.eu they're putting out some really cool shit they do these etchings on anything from wine glasses to carafes to plaques they can do high uh, detailed photographs they can do logos all kinds of stuff it really is some pretty cool stuff so check them out uh, for me you can find me on all the normal, you know, uh, Instagram, Facebook, the fucking is my website. That's where you're going to get a hold of both books. The uh, fucking pilot book, which is previously published, uh, uh articles that I've written for Blue Skies Magazine, and then The Accidental Stripper. Uh, both of those are available in audio, or pardon me, in uh, digital and print form, and The uh, Accidental Stripper hopefully will be finished relatively soon in audiobook form. Again, this has been another really fun edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. Thanks for checking it out, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>